Shows are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Welcome to the Adventures in Tech Podcast. Talking the latest tips and trends in educational technology to innovate and engage your students. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Dan. Welcome back. Happy New Year, Dan. Happy New Year. It is episode 35 of the Adventures in Tech podcast. We are kicking off 2023 with a bang. Kind of like a pip. (laughs) My mouth is on fire. Dan had some interesting popcorn, so if he starts breathing heavily into the microphone, we will know why. (gasps) (laughs) Tabasco flavored cheddar popcorn or pip corn. Pip. It's a pip corn. Uh, anyways, off the rails. If you like the content, help us out by providing feedback and a rating on wherever you download your podcast from. Five-star reviews. Greatly appreciate your support. Lots going on. So we want to talk about ISTE. It is, uh, at the time of this recording, it is January 10th. And ISTE, Philly 2023, Discover Your Next, has officially opened registration. Right. Today was the opening day. As of today. So, and if you want to attend ISTE, it is definitely possible because I think... Almost all school districts will be out of session at this point. I, I would say. You know, it starts June 25th in Philly uh, through the June 28th. So typically, sometimes it's that last week, depending upon schools in the Northeast. Uh, but I do believe it should be, school should be out of session. Should be. So uh, if you need more information, you can Google it or just go to conference.isti.org and get more information in regards to how you can attend and and see. Uh, it's It's inspiring to go to an ISTE conference because it's on the national level and there's just so much going on. So there's something that you will get tons, tons of information out of it uh, that will kind of, you'll be kind of motivated to start the school year. Still need your summer break, but you'll be motivated saying, you know, it'll give you time. That's the nice thing. They do it in June. So they give you time to prep your stuff for come August or September, depending upon where you live. So that will start on June 25th. All right, classroom updates. Dan and I have had some challenges, but we have conquered them with I, the VR goggles. With the VR. I, we've we figured to, it out. Well, we think we figured it well, out. Well, we figured out how to update them once and for good. Right. So, you know, we've been talking about, and I, I you know, referenced to a previous podcast when we had uh, our, our colleague John Redeker on and talking yep. about creating experiences for students. So looking to at, at – <clears throat> That's Excuse that me. fire. That's that fire. fire. I think I just burned the microphone. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Off the rails. But, you know, looking at different ways of creating experiences for students and looking into that VR world, I think there are some possibilities. And being able to create um, your own content, use 3D models, upload them into the platform, um, has really opened up some doors. I've been experimenting a little bit more on some of the features and what is possible and really been piloting them out in a number of different classrooms. I just reached out to some science teachers today mm-hmm. and they're yep. super excited um, to start exploring that um, in their classes. So we will keep you updated on creating experiences using VR. Yeah, there's a lot you can do, and, you know, we really went into the platform with Class VR. Everybody says, well, what are you using? What are you using? Because it is still just dipping the toe in the water of education, let's say, virtual reality. So we use Class VR because you don't need a device. So it's very, I don't want to say easy, but it, it is kind of easy to deploy things from either their portal, right? So, right. And uh, one of the new 
one of the tools that I've been working um, with today um, to create content for VR is uh, Paint 3D on Microsoft. So going back to Microsoft Paint and using Paint 3D to create objects and 3D models to upload into a VR world, they have um, some great libraries in there and being able to download some of the stuff from their library and put it into the platform has been great. Um, I'm also trying to work with taking those models and putting them into ThingLink yep. and seeing how we can have that VR experience um, without the goggles as well. Because yeah. we want that equitable access Correct. and multiple platforms going out to make it the most useful for every classroom environment. Well, and that's what I think you said. is You, you hit the nail on the head with the equitable portion and using ThingLink, which we can talk more about. Please you know, reach out to us on the socials or emails, whichever. Because the availability and accessibility to have the goggles you know it's not like we have classroom sets we're working on that we're we're in the right track we're about halfway there uh but you know we don't have multiple sets that it could go into every classroom so that is you know because it's a cost thing right supply and demand right now and you know a lot of things you don't really all the time need a classroom set i go back to Catelyn tucker and her ideas of blended learning and station rotation and having that as another resource or experience where students are engaging with it in small groups i think that can be more meaningful than doing whole class movie theater type applications with the vr Agreed. And and that's kind of what we've pushed out even earlier in the year when we did the um, ancient civilization Mm -hmm. one. You know, we had uh, eight working that day or something, I think, and they were in small groups and it worked out great. You know, they share, see, think, wonder and move on from that. So we do have that specific in our device. It is uh, in our district. It is class VR. And uh, again, stay tuned as we're really starting to navigate and those uncharted waters and and really know what we're doing with them. So, all right, moving right along. Weekly wind up, Dan. We've been uh, everybody. You know, a lot of things have come out. Uh, not too much over the the break, but we know Google Workspace had uh, a new feature called collaborate with colleagues in Google Slides through a new follow feature. So. Basically, it allows you to collaborate with colleagues in real time on Google Slides. Uh, you would build upon the existing feature to see what your uh, sl- what slide your colleague is on. And now you can now click on your collaborator's avatar in the slides toolbar to jump to whatever slide they're on and continue to move with them as they navigate and make changes to a presentation. Now, when I first saw this, right, and it's mm-hmm. already been released, right, so we know uh, it's already out and you should be able to see it. My first thought is, remember how we always had those collaboration, Dan, you get slide one, and I get slide right. two, and I get slide... So you would see them, but those bubbles would go away. They'd pop up and pop down, pop right? up and so pop down. So you wouldn't be able... So now it's going to be easier... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now it's going to be easier to track what student is working on what slide, right, as mm-hmm. you follow them, and you'll know that Dan is not doing the work because he's on Andrew's slide goofing right. off. So I, I like it. I like that, too. As students are doing that collaborative effort in slides, if you bring up the entire slide deck um, and look at the, the thumbnails of each slide, you'd be easy, you can easily tell where students are engaging in the content right there. So um, without that little head popping up and down and having that avatar there, I like that addition. It makes that collaboration aspect that much more... Um, seamless in Google Slides. Thousand percent. Uh, moving right along, Casey Bell from ShakeUpLearning.com has posted a uh, a pageless doc, Dan. Pageless. Hey, speaking my language. There you go. Of Google Quick Tip videos. So if you're not familiar with Casey, 
Uh, she is a great ed tech uh, individual with Shake Up Learning. She's got a YouTube channel. She's got a podcast and everything. Um, and she has a whole slew of tips with quick videos based on Google Workspace. Everything from your usual Google suite with slides and sheets and docs mm-hmm. and Classroom, Chrome, Keep, uh, you know, all the way down to Jamboard, Google Sites, Google Me, and Google Drawings. There are little videos. So we're going to post this, and then it kind of gives you a quick overview if you're like, how do I do this? And you really don't want to Google it, for lack of a better term. (laughs) You will then be able to, uh, you know, just go to Casey's doc where Mm -hmm. it's got everything right there for you. So we'll post this, and you can make a, a, a copy. But if you do make a copy... Just remember, it won't be updated. She updates right. this because it's a live breathing document. So you can just, you know, you you can just bookmark once you it or share bookmark it, right? it or or just add that link to your drive. That's it. Um, so there is has been an update to where did where was I? Quizalize. Quizalize. So Quizalize um, has made an update um, to its platform. For those of you not familiar with Quizalize, it's like quizzes and Socrative, one of those online yep. formative assessment tools. Um, I used to use it a lot. It has some great features. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't looked at it lately, but <coughs> excuse me. That's that popcorn's got that you popcorn. bad. <laughs> um, it's good though. Uh, <laughs> but um, <laughs> anyway, um, coming out, you can now turn your Google Forms quizzes into Epic Classroom games. So Very they're cool. super excited to announce that you can now import your Google Forms to quiz it from Forms into Quizalize and turn them into games. So I think that's a nice feature looking for those engagement factors in your classroom, looking for some more um, engaging formative assessment tools. And, you know, we get asked a lot the question about gamification because we know that's kind of what these students are into, a lot of them. So this is a good way to kind of start to introduce a gamification aspect into your classroom. So... Definitely uh, something you could check out. And then speaking more updates to different things, there's been um, some new updates to quizzes. They say, you asked, we listened. Um, so they, were, they have what they call as a teacher wish list. So there's a link for that. And then you can say what you'd like out of the program. And based on that, they wrapped up 2022 by introducing three new teacher requested tools on quizzes. So now you can schedule a quiz. So you can save class time by setting a date and time to automatically start an activity. You can give students the option to skip a question or um, reduce test anxiety okay. by allowing students to pass cool. and later return to difficult questions. I like that. Yeah. Um, and three, drag and drop and drop down. Um, so there's drag and drop type questions and a drop down menu. So this can, can, can encourage critical thinking. And practice for future uh, test formats with two new question types. We're seeing all of these platforms, you know, that have to do with formative assessment and quizzing, really upping their game with all mm-hmm. kinds of features that have been requested by by users. So good things to see coming out of Quizalize and quizzes. And I know um, hopefully soon we have another thing that we can talk about that's similar. 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 So uh, stay tuned. That'll be on a future episode. Absolutely. As we were talking about that. All right. Last but not least, a uh, friend of the podcast, Eric Kurtz, Control-Alt-Achieve. Yeah. If you have not seen this, and he's actually, you know, at the time of this recording, he will be uh, hosting a webinar on how to use this uh, this feature. But uh, Eric is on control uh, at Control All Achieve and Google Slides Photo Word. So basically, right. I love this. <laughs> yeah, you you can put any word you want in, and you can have the photo fill it in instead of regular, uh, you know, regular pastels or uh, regular colors or whatever you would want. So it's kind of cool 
and and association. And, so. and he has some cool photo word projects. So I know we have the link to it um, that will be in the show notes. So definitely check it out. It'll give you some cool ideas. And he does have a webinar. Yeah. Um, so that's on uh, January 12th. Yep. And we'll put that in there. And, and I'm sure he's going to record it. So it'll be on his YouTube channel mm-hmm. uh, after the fact. So, um, all right. So, you know, Dan, let me ask you this question. So typically, beginning of the year, what does everybody do? January 1st comes, what do we do? We make all these resolutions. Right. And do we typically, or how long do we stick to them? Uh, Depends upon the person. Depends upon the person, but normally not very long. Right, right. You know, so when we were talking about this week's episode and uh, we've had a lot of interviews and a lot of things lately, we talked about self-reflection and mm-hmm. and a bunch of things of what you could kind of do. So uh, I, there was a lot of articles out there, and I'm first going to start with this somebody, nobody syndrome, right? So what this was out on, on the web and on Twitter and, and blogs is if I succeed, I'm somebody. If I fail, I'm nobody. There are a lot of people that have that mindset. Mm-hmm. As we move into 2023, we want to replace that with this. If I succeed, I'll aim to be even better. If I fail, I'll learn and keep working. Neither success nor failure defines you. And really where that, that came from was something called the inner versus outer scorecard, the inner scorecard. How good do you want to be, right? And this is from uh, coffeeandjunk.com. And, you know, it, it what defines you? Name, fame, success. So we know as human beings... Uh, we have a deep biological need that to satisfy by acting in such a way that's going to bring praise and, and adulation for wealth, success, skills, looks, whichever. Mm-hmm. And it's inherent. It's an inherent need that pushes ourselves. It gives us all the drive to accomplish. We're willing to do extraordinary things that are extremely difficult, starting a company from scratch, climbing Mount Everest, running 3,500 miles. Is that correct, Dan? That's correct. Dan made that goal last year, 3,500 miles. I think I maybe walked one. Uh, (laughs) Solving a supposedly unsolvable theorem or, you know, trying to settle on Mars. It's all well and good, but the byproduct of that behavior is the need to compare ourselves with others. It's just, it's human nature. Right, and it seems a lot of that is based on extrinsic motivation. Right, so those problems come when we compromise, you know, or the problems come when we start compromising our own standards that those that we've set for ourselves in order to earn more admiration tokens uh, from others. So mm-hmm. you can be anything you want, but we can't be everything, right? And when right. we compare ourselves to others, we're often comparing uh, the best features against our average ones. We naturally want to be better than others, but the unconscious realization that we're not can become self-destructive. So comparing ourselves to others allows them to drive our behavior, which is definitely a bad sign. And Warren Buffett, if you're not familiar, but I think everybody is with Warren Buffett, his beautiful saying is, the big question about how people behave is whether they've got an inner scorecard or an outer scorecard. It helps if you can be satisfied with an inner scorecard. And basically, maintaining that outer scorecard means being concerned by how the world sees you and think of you and how you are perceived in comparison to others and then acting according to that. On the other hand, the inner scorecard is something which you maintain for yourself without thinking much about what people will be thinking of you, all right? So you have to decide whether you're bowling well or not, all right? Uh, The batsman's going to hit you for fours and sixes anyways, let's be Mm -hmm. honest, right? But it it makes an impact in the sense that the scoreboard is just a superficial judge of the game. Winning the game doesn't necessarily mean that you bowled well. Losing the game also doesn't mean the opposite, you set the standard for your own skill sets and achievements, no matter the result, no matter how many sixes, fours, whatever you get, 
All right, you have to be your own judge, not the scoreboard, not the batsman, not anything else. So you, it really forces you to ask yourself, as we think of 2023 in self-reflection, how good do I want to be? What standards am I going to judge myself by? And not just personally, I'm also thinking from the education component, mm-hmm. right? How, like, what, what's going to define you as you're your successful with your students? I don't want to say it's just a test score. Sure, right. that's a por- portion, right? It's not a, a, an evaluation. How do you know, and I think this goes back to an episode with uh, a past guest, is, you know, what what's going to make you memorable? We talk about these experiences and creating, you know, experiences to make teaching memorable. Dan, you always talk about that teacher who, you know, uh, what was the name? That you would always remember and say, yeah, you know, it wasn't that they were the flashy. It was just the way they presented the, mm-hmm. the topic or the lesson, right? I, I think that's in a lot of the case. And I think when you, when you look at that, um, and we look at it in the realm of education, as you bring up the idea of the scorecards, um, that inner scorecard is really based on a lot of self-reflection. You know, looking back at your effort, your values, your principles, your standards, um, your commitment, and your performance. I think as educators, we have to remember to be self self-reflective of ourselves as professionals to build up that inner scorecard. When we deliver our lessons, do we reflect back on it and say, you know, where, where did I stand in this lesson? What could I have done better? Um, all right, this didn't work. Why didn't it work? Why can I, where can I make those adjustments? Where can I improve it for everyone? Um, instead of looking at those, you know, oh, I mean, there are external factors that are out there, but, you know, I remember getting started in the classroom and I had a mentor and, you know, when she said when things start going wrong and you start pointing fingers, you know, there's always three fingers pointed back at you. Correct. So and you can control those three things that are pointed back at you. So reflect on what's what you have control of and then look to to enhance that experience. And I think, listen, this is this is I mean, we're getting deep on you this episode. <laughs> right. And uh, as much as we goofed off about popcorn in the beginning, but this is something that it's it challenges your inner being in the sense we, you know, you talk, I was talking about Warren Buffett. He's worth $106 billion. Right. And Nick Saban's won seven national titles, you know, uh, not last night, obviously with uh, Georgia winning, but (laughs) uh, in Alabama. Right. But they live by the inner scorecard. Right. And so we know there's those two ways. So when you think of two ways to measure success, you have your outer and your inner scorecard. And like you were just saying, most of us, I would say the majority of us, use that outer scorecard because mm-hmm. we want to measure it with fame, money, status, influence, accolades, right? Pats on the back, recognition, achievement. It's all that, like you said, that extrinsic motivation. But the outer scorecard is fickle. It's defined by what the world thinks. And the problem is it's outcome focus. What is the outcome? Mostly outcomes are out of our control. You can't control what happened at home before a kid took the regions right. or uh, a third grade test. You can't, right? So playing by that scorecard is the fool's game. The best way to measure success Okay, is the inner scorecard, and here are the those the, the the key points with that: effort, values, principles, standards, excellent commitment, and performance. That's all based on intrinsic motivation. It's reliable. It's defined only by what you think. The approach is process focused, and the process is all within your control. The best, the Warren Buffett's in that play by that scorecard. You know, live in the present, focus on the process, ignore the external voices. Perform to your standard and forget about the out- outcome. Nothing else matters. I right. think that's just. I think I think that was a nice topic of conversation to bring <laughs> up. But you know, especially as we as we move forward, you know, there's a lot that we've been talking about in the last uh, 
few weeks about, you know, the emergence of AI and all these different things that are, yep. you know, are definitely out of our control for, and then what can we do? We look at the process as teachers. We look at, look at the process. We, we learned as educators that there's, um, there's an art to teaching. There's a craft. There's different ways of reaching students. We've, we've all been, you know, learned about, you know, adolescent development, psychological development, yep. learning theories, all these different things. And we, sh we should reflect back on that because being an educator is more than just, you know, dates, facts, content, content, content. We really need to educate a child. We need to build up the, uh, the learning capabilities of our students and there are ways of doing it. So being reflective on um, that process, that pedagogy, it, I think will, will help create experiences for students. And that's going to drive it. So, you know, when we talk about this topic, you know, as we wrap this up, the question it poses how you're going to measure your own success is going to largely determine how successful you'll be. And, you know, this is January. It's early January. Now is the great time to build your inner scorecard for the new year, for 2023. Set yourself up to have and, and kind of reflect upon yourself goals that you have for 2023 and go off the inner scorecard manner. That's what I would kind of recommend as we try to move forward into, you know, into this year. Um, now, we're going to get a little deep on something different now, right? <laughs> we haven't talked about project-based learning recently. And our good old friend, AJ Giuliani, okay, has actually uh, recently posted something. How do you manage it? Because I think that's part of the thing, Dan, right? Is mm -hmm. There's the fear of, I don't want to say letting go, but it's almost you don't have the, the control, right? Right. So he wrote a whole article about how do you manage those project-based classes. And again, depending upon your level uh, and your content, you're not going to have just a strictly project-based class. Mm-hmm. But there are opportunities where you will be able to, uh, you know, provide these opportunities for your students to have those project-based experiences. Right. So I, I like in his article, he, uh, he talks about the PBL experience and making it one that allows from your role to morph from guide, uh, morph into the guide on the ride instead of the guide on the side. That's, so that's, a, that's a new uh, evolution because we always talk about how we want to move the center of the classroom away from the teacher and the teacher can be that collaborator, that guide on the side. I like the, uh, the addition of guide on the ride because we're all on that journey together. Correct. Yeah, I mean, it's great. And he has a, a link that we can really talk about that that expands upon that. You know, I, you're going to have to give up some creative control, right? And we know that, but you will have the structure during the project. Uh, that and, and to help provide you for students. Now, Dan and I were both uh, trained uh, in PBL Works along with uh, Tara and John and Christine and Kristen, uh, good, good PD friends of ours. So when we talk about project-based learning and managing it, right, you, you have to kind of almost go with the UDL principles, as mm -hmm. you always mentioned, Dan, and go backwards by design and everything. But four ways to, to manage it, AJ talks about, is you can give choice and ownership while still providing that clear structure. Right. And we know that kind of that's a trap. Right. Is if you're giving them all these, uh, you know, 18 specific steps, he says, for students to follow with an extremely detailed rubric. Now, that's a very structured product, but you're also going to get back the exact same project product mm -hmm. from every student or group. Right. It's a recipe based learning, not project based learning. You've kind of dictated the ingredients, right. so to speak. But, you know, there's trap number two. If you give too much freedom and structure, time, and checkpoints, this leads to stalling at certain points and never getting to the actual creation piece or getting there too quickly. Yeah. So he talks about the, the phases that, 
you know, in, in a book that he wrote with launch. So when you're doing this, you're going to, you know, it's, it's an acronym for look, listen, and learn, right? Have the students, the goal is awareness, right? And then you go to ask tons of questions and the curiosity kind of starts to morph the project into what it needs to be. Why are they asking questions? They share those questions, uh, you know, wherever it could be online, it could be, you know, in-house, whichever, but they have to, they have to ask tons of questions. And, you know, you go to the launch, it's an acronym, it's look, listen, learn, as Andrew said, ask tons of questions, understanding the process and or problem. Um, so going through some authentic research experience, then what you get with your research, you navigate the ideas, you create a prototype, you highlight and fix that prototype, and then you launch it to an audience. Now, I've read AJ's book launch years ago. It's design thinking. Right. Um, and we've talked a lot about design thinking. And really, I think putting in that element of design thinking into your classroom, whether, whether it's PBL-based or on other things, what that really does is um, allows the students to build empathy, but it's also a, a very metacognitive process where the students are thinking about their thinking, um, right. which is then taking it to another level. Um, so as if you're if you're looking at that, empowering those students through design thinking um, naturally lends that to students developing an action plan, which is is number two as before you go into something that students should really be thinking about um, their action plan and set that out before they start um, going into the process. So basically, it's backwards design for students helps them create goals and a structure for their creative work. Right. And then from there, when we get into the next way to manage PBL is the short conferences that pack a punch. And we know conferences are one of the most underutilized approaches to managing PBL, but they can be extremely practical and powerful when done with purpose. Right. And they don't need to be long or arduous for, for the teacher or the students. So uh, John Spencer laid out three types of student conferences. You have uh, the focus for feedback. Right. Mm -hmm. Reflection and mastery. Right. So the teacher role will be to answer questions, uh, you know, for, you know, and the students asking questions as, for feedback. The reflection is the students going to ask questions. The students are going to answer and mastery is they both ask and answer as they work towards those standards. Right. And it's funny how all these different types of things cycle together with PBL yeah. design thinking. And then you look at his number four, having students reflect and document on a weekly basis. That, I like that, this journal. That, that metacognition, that journal, whenever I launched a Genius Hour project um, and looked at that, the students were always blogging um, weekly, um, thinking about the work they were doing and yeah. commenting on it and setting up future goals every week. So that metacognition piece, I think, is embedded throughout everything is something that we strive for. Mm -hmm. Instead of students just being there passive and, you know, just you know, being a consumer all the time, right. um, they can be a creator and active in their own learning, being able to be empowered to set their own goals. Now, you know, there's a lot of motivation that goes in there. Um, for the students to be, as we talk about, intrin intrinsically motivated. But I think as you go through these processes and you engage the students and give them that choice, that, yep. that motivation can't help but come along with it. And when you just said choice, you know, we, we always talk about choice a lot, Dan. And the key is to have the students reflect, share, and document where you have access as, as their teacher. Mm -hmm. Blogs, podcasts, vlogging, uh, Google Forms, Flipgrid, Flip, sorry, Flip, Flip. Uh, Flipgrid. Uh, you know, wh whatever platform you want to use, Wakelet, there's there's a lot of options that you have that will provide the opportunities for the students. And then that's when you start to bring it all together, because up until that point, you're following along the project. You give the comments and the feedback as needed. and You check in with the students or groups. 
who may need some extra attention that week, or maybe they're struggling on uh, one part of their project or whatever. But then this is where you bring it all together and PBL will feel as real and authentic as possible as we get to the end. Right. And right. It's not, you know, I like how he summed it up and it's not to say there is no deadline. There is a due date because mm-hmm. we have deadlines, right? I mean, we, we put deadlines on ourselves uh, you know, as well. We don't get rid of those checkpoints or those benchmarks. We still have those as adults. And, you know, we are not going to get rid of formative and informal conversations. We all have that. It's just a way to guide students on their learning journey. And right. the best way I'd say is to, to summarize that is what you will do is just dabble in it. One a quarter, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or two a semester or trimester, whatever, you know, however it works for you. Try it out I that mean, way. If you look at PBL, you look at all these different things of a student-centered classroom. The goal is really to, to empower the students. Um, and you could be there. I mean, as you start creating these opportunities, you can not only guide them in the content and the process, but you can talk to them about time management skills, um, how to reach out to mentors, how to get through a rough patch when you're really not having that things working for you. How can you get through that? How can you improve your communication? All these different skills that you can then incorporate it. So it sounds a little bit overwhelming, but if you want to bring it to its simplest forms, you know, create opportunities where students have choice where they can create something for an authentic audience and they have the ability to collaborate um, and reflect on what's going on through the process. This can be drawn out over a number of weeks for an entire unit or for an individual lesson. I don't have much else to say after that. I'm speechless. Well, that's not going to last long. Yeah. (laughs) We're back to being funny, (laughs) but uh, no, seriously, like on a serious note, that is pretty much, that's what we're here for. So I know we went a little deep with inner and outer and then talked about how you can manage PBL overall uh, just to start because people do ask us. They they look at it. They look at the the platform or the things, the, the facets of it that we just talked about, and it becomes overwhelming, and it kind of just pushes to the side. Mm-hmm. So start small. It doesn't have to be massively huge as a project, and, and, and that's how you can dive in to get your feet wet to kind of learn a, along with the students. So. Right. Dan, final thoughts. Um, We did talk a lot about that PBL, so check out the link in the show notes so you can look at everything we've been talking about to give you some ideas. You know, once again, you're going to have to be self-reflective and a reflective practitioner. You know, you can't always be like, all right, so how can I use this in my math class? Well, you have to really look at it and look at your goals, your objectives, your students, and figure out how it fits into your content and how you can make the most opportunities of it. Well, we'll definitely be there to help you along the way, but there's no, like, cut-and-dry example like, oh, here's a PBL unit that you can run with it and go. Right. It, you really, teachers take on, have to take on that creative role as well. And the way I would say is live by your inner scorecard, Dan. That's it. You know, live by your inner scorecard. All right. So we will put the sticker request up. Uh, thank you again for uh, all your support. Listen on all those platforms, leaving us those reviews. As always, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please reach out. Tech card, work smart, live an adventure. Find Andrew on all socials at a Nicola tech and Dan at WCSD tech DR.